0: It's a Wednesday. It's the day after. It's our Halloween hangover edition of Supernatural News. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. In with me is once again the hostess, co hostess with the mostess. She's not the BCB, she's the magnificent Mally Fox. Mally, how are you doing?
1: <laughs> I'm good. How are
0: you? Good, good, good. Thank you so much for joining us again, again yet uh, on a, on the Wednesday. I don't know why I'm stammering, but I am. Um, <laughs> Bruiser not here this week. He's having a little bit of minor surgery. Um, it's again minor. He's he's. Uh, I'm not going to reveal his medical thing. I I don't have the HIPAA. Uh, um, oh, gotcha. Permission to do that, but mm-hmm. uh, he'll be back next week to. Uh, I believe he'll be back next week to uh, to join us. It's convenient, Mally, that it's it's. Uh, the weekend or week after Viking Packer week. And he's gone yeah. uh, being a Packers fan. And This sounds a little suspicious. It does sound suspicious, doesn't it? That his, mm-hmm. his Packers got uh, trounced. Um, so I know people normally on on this segment of the show, we do Ziggy's picks, but there's a couple of things going on here. One, we're actually taping the show on a Monday this week instead of on Tuesday. On Tuesday, we normally have all of Ziggy's picks um done for the week There's still Mally your Detroit Lions have to play yet tonight Mm. so we're one game away we have a pretty good idea of how everybody did for the week we'll talk about it later in the show we'll just uh, gloss over it but I'll give I'll give a quick glossing over um at the end of Thursday's show I'll let everybody know how Ziggy's picks came out so that's how we'll do
1: that is he pretty accurate
0: Oh my gosh, Ziggy's had a good week so far.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ziggy,
0: Ziggy Star Pup, uh, let's just say, had the comeback, uh, the comeback of a lifetime. Ah. Yeah, this week. Ziggy was in a little bit of a slump for a couple of weeks. Okay. But came back miraculously this week. Yeah, Let's put it that way. Talia slumped this week. Talia, the other psychic pup,
1: mm-hmm.
0: a little bit of a slump this week. <clears throat> and Bruiser, <clears throat> a little bit of a slump this week. But your boy here. <laughs> Good job this week on Timmy's part. So we'll just say that. Um, yeah, yeah, it was uh, interesting. Interesting, another interesting week in the NFL. So, but we're, we'll get to that uh, on Thursday. We'll talk about that thir- on Thursday show. We'll we'll recap for you as far as that goes. But Malley's Detroit Lions play tonight. I don't know if you've adopted the Detroit Lions or not.
1: Um, I kind of have. Not. I'm not a diehard fan like the whole state of Michigan is. Yeah, but. Uh, I mean, i'm I'm proud of them. There you go.
0: There you go. instead, folks,, uh, it's a Halloween ha- hangover edition. Of course, we're still into Halloween. Mm-hmm. we're We're with it. We're hip. We got lots of scary stories today to to uh, kind of help with that Halloween hangover. We know you've got that sugar rush still going. Um, we're gonna talk about all kinds of scary stuff. We got scary AI stories today. We got a black-eyed kid story today, Mali.
1: Oh, those things those. Uh, they creep me out.
0: Yeah. We got a, a black eyed kid story today. Uh, we've also got some hauntingly scary stories and we've got a disturbing story, but kind of an encouraging story is a little boy tells his mommy he remembers her miscarriage where he died and returned. Yeah. Right. I'm telling you, we're bringing the creepy today. We're just, we're, we're doing that. Um, and uh, we've actually got a real-life Jersey Devil story as well today. So we've got lots, of, uh, we got lots of good stuff today. Lots of good stuff as far as supernatural news goes. But first, and uh, first and foremost, uh, we, we talk uh, aliens. That's how we start out every show. We're talking aliens. They seem to be the hot topic these days. And investigators claim they may have solved the mystery of the Pentagon UFO footage. Valley. Okay. Uh, investigative journalists have put forward an explanation for the footage shared by AARO earlier this year. The clip, which shows an unidentified metallic sphere moving at considerable speed over some buildings somewhere in the Middle East, was shared publicly during the Senate committee hearing back in April by Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick of the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office or AARO. At the time, the footage generated much intrigue as it seemed to be evidence that UFOs not only existed, but were officially acknowledged by the U.S. government. This is a typical example of a thing we see most of, Kirkpatrick said at the time. We see these all over the world, and we see these making very interesting apparent maneuvers. This one in particular, however, I may point out, demonstrated no enigmatic technical capabilities and was no threat to airborne safety. Fast forward to the present, and now an investigative journalism group known as Bellingcat has put forward its conclusion that the object in the footage is nothing more than a Mylar balloon.
1: They always blame the balloon. (laughs) I know, right?
0: Uh, To determine this, the investigators attempted to calculate the object's size, speed, and distance traveled based on the relative speed and altitude of the drone that captured the footage, they also determined that the exact location that it was filmed at for a reference. If the object was situated at an altitude of approximately 2000 feet, they argued then it was quite feasible that it was traveling at no more than 27 miles an hour. On top of that, the sighting occurred at the time of a major holiday in Islam during which it is not unusual for balloons to be used. So while it's exciting to imagine that a thirty-centimeter-wide alien spacecraft flying around the Middle East was there, Occam's Razor suggests that perhaps we're just looking at a party balloon. The group concluded. Little disappointed, Mel.
1: A tiny bit, but I just don't know if I believe them.
0: Yeah, I—I I have. Uh, let's just say today's alien segment might be a little disappointing. <laughs> and there's one story that's absolutely going to just make you want to throw something through your listening device or throw your <laughs> listening device period um we have one story out there today that says that two mysterious objects crashed to earth encouraging maybe i know uh, i know dr uh, our doctor over at stanford will be interested in this on october 23rd of 2023 an unusual event unfolded in the skies above northwestern and east western Ohio. I didn't know there was an East Western Ohio.
1: I didn't either. That's a little bit. So, what is it? The center. Yeah, that would (laughs) be Central Ohio. (laughs) That
0: would be, wouldn't it? East Western would be Central. I don't. Who writes East Western Ohio? I I think this. uh, It's it's got to be a rib, Uh, leaving residents perplexed. I'm perplexed by East Western Ohio reports. (laughs) uh, UFO sightings hotspot. Initially, attention was drawn to a mysterious white object. Descending through the daytime sky. It says again, above east western Ohio.
1: Is that a thing? Uh maybe Ohio thing. I've never heard of that before. It's, it's
0: gotta be like Skyline Chili. And they, oh, I they, love Skyline. Oh I know, mm-hmm. but yeah. Mm. Uh, Which was obviously not a conventional aircraft, helicopter, drone, or meteor, it says here. The orb-like nature of this white object fueled speculation. Soon after, a second swiftly moving object emerged above northwestern Ohio, which we know is a thing, changing direction, which means the object is under intelligent control, adding to the intrigue a sudden and thunderous sonic boom echoed through the air, further intensifying the mystery. Meteors don't change direction, neither does space debris. What can change direction other than a controlled object that was obviously not an airplane, a helicopter, or a drone, it asks? Well, the first white object remains unexplained regarding the second unidentified entity, YouTuber Mr. MBB333, he's involved with this title, folks, proposed a hypothesis involving a potential crash into the Earth However, alternative theories circulated, with some speculating that the resounding sonic boom might have been the result of a fighter jet breaking the sound barrier. Nonetheless, this theory lacks conclusive evidence. Whatever these two objects were, their presence in the sky uh, constituted a highly uncommon occurrence, capturing the attention of onlookers on that October day. I don't know, Mel. Um, I'm still confused over East Western. (laughs) That's all I know. (laughs) <laughs> I think once we solve what the hell East Western is, I think uh-huh. we, uh, we're on to something. <laughs> or we're on something. That is weird. Yeah. <laughs> this next story is going to put a dagger right in your heart.
1: Okay. What if the town is called Western, so it's East Western? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure this out.
0: I think it might be onto something there. If it's Western Ohio and it's the east part of Western Ohio, then be East Western.
1: I'm just going to google if there's a western ohio. So, keep on talking, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Cuz this is bugging me. <laughs> I'll
0: do this part. I'll rip I'll rip the heart out of UFO believers here while you look up if there's actually an east western ohio. Okay. How's that sound? Perfect. Um the highlight or the highlight, the um the highlight. The <laughs> the, the headline on this is what's the best evidence we found for alien life? Then the sub-headline is don't expect an alien invasion anytime soon. I don't think this is a positive article.
1: Yeah, It's not sounding like it.
0: No. Uh, we've all wondered whether we're alone in the universe and with potentially habitable in planets, strange space signals and UFO hearings... Hitting the headlines, I don't know why I'm hesitating reading this, I think because I know how it ends. It's starting to feel like we're on the cusp of a major extraterrestrial discovery. But what's the best scientific evidence we've found for the existence of alien life? The sobering reality is that there isn't any yet. Good night, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no scientific evidence for aliens in the declassified UFO videos in mutilated cows whose injuries are blamed on extraterrestrial activities or in purported alien bodies, nor is there any such evidence in the formal academic research. Live Sciences, who I'm quoting here, by the way, in the article in which I'm reading from, they checked in with experts to make sure. Professor Sarah Sager, an astrophysicist and planetary scientist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, they call themselves MIT, an author of The Smallest Lights in the Universe, a memoir, said to Live Science, there's just no evidence right now. Niku, I believe it's Madhusudan, a professor of astrophysics and exoplanetary scientist at the University of Cambridge, gave a similar response saying, I don't think we have clear, uh, clear evidence just yet of any kind of alien life. There is, however, good reason to hold out hope that the evidence will eventually come, even if it isn't personally delivered by a little green man hussiden told Live Science that there are hints here and there, and there is evidence for habitable conditions. In other words, there are signs that certain planets and moons could harbor life, but we haven't found evidence of life in these places yet. There may be hundreds of millions of habitable planets in our galaxy alone. Scientists consider planets capable of hosting life if they sit in the so-called habitable zone which the distance from a star where it's possible for a rocky planet to have liquid water on the surface, an essential ingredient for life on Earth, planets and moons outside of the habitable zone aren't necessarily inhospitable to life either. For example, Jupiter's moon Europa isn't in the sun's habitable zone, but has a saltwater ocean beneath its icy crust that may be able to host life. Researchers looking inside and outside of our solar system for signs of life Madhusudan, I'm having a hard time with this name, Mel. <laughs> Madhusudan, I think that's how it is. Madhusudan, yeah, Madhusudan uh, led a study published in October of 2023 in the Astrophysical Journal Letters that detected hints of an ocean on a planet called K2-18b, located more than 100 light years away. Their data also suggested potential signs of dimethyl sulfide. Which is a chemical that, as far as we know, is produced only by life on Earth. That is very tentative, he said. We don't know if it is present or not, but we do see it in the data at some level. The potential sign of an alien of alien life will be subject to further study and may be refuted. Regardless, Madhusudan. Uh, said that he wouldn't be surprised if we found evidence for extraterrestrial microbial life within the next decade. I'd be very surprised if there's no life out there of any kind, he added. Wow, that's a big swing from anything else. I mean, from what the government's been telling us anyways. Uh, Seeger believes we confirm the existence of alien life only with sample return missions, collecting samples from another planet or moon and bringing them back to Earth for study in-situ measurements or incredibly futuristic technology like a solar gravitational lens telescope a theoretical instrument that would use the sun's gravity to magnify light from distant planets with all the tools we have now or that we could build with enough money seager went on to say it's sample return because i don't see anything else being definitive seager was part of a 2020 study published in the journal nature astronomy that reported The apparent presence of phosphine gas, which is a potential signature of life on Venus, the research had been debated in the scientific community since, researchers will argue about whether potential life signatures detected on other planets are real, and then whether those signatures are accurate, and then whether those signatures are actually caused by life which they currently won't be able to prove without collecting samples, according to Seeger. However, she's confident that scientists will find more signs of water in oceans that could indicate habitability, as well as gases that might be due to life. I think that's enough to keep this generation's long search moving forward, she said. Keep in mind that space is incredibly vast. It could take humans more than a million years to visit K-218B with Mm -hmm. traditional rocket propulsion. Even sending our fastest probe to the nearest known exoplanet, Proxima Centauri b, would take thousands of years. The planets and moons within our solar system are right on our doorstep by comparison, with probe travel times ranging from some years to mere months. So, Mally, scientists aren't confident that there's any life out there now. It used to be, and this is Fermi's paradox. Essentially, Mm -hmm. we've talked about it in the past Mm -hmm. on the show, that scientists used to say it's virtually impossible that there's other life on other planets, mm-hmm. which is now the exact opposite swing where we were even a year or two ago, where scientists were saying it's virtually impossible that there isn't life out there. So, what do we believe?
1: I don't know. I think that there is life out there. If we exist, I think there's another, at least another planet that has life.
0: Like you, we do. You would think.
1: Yeah. You would, you would think. I, I think mean, we'd be ignorant not to think that.
0: Well, if you, if you want to get down to the bare essence of what life is, even microbial life, then there mm-hmm. is. Because we have microbes and bacteria falling to this planet all the time from space. Mm-hmm. So there's life. There's alien right. life and it falls to our planet all the time. But if you want to talk complex alien life, another being that, that will wi- walk up and shake our hand, that may be tougher, but do you do you think that even in the next hundred or two hundred years, we'll have a craft show up, land, make itself known, and we'll meet creatures from another planet? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that those beings that landed in Las Vegas a couple months ago were real? That that that's that's the beginning of meeting beings from another planet.
1: That I don't know, to be honest. Okay. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about the Las Vegas thing.
0: You don't know about it?
1: No, I mean, I know about the, I know the story no, and I, stuff. I, I just know don't know. It. Yeah. I don't you know. Don't,
0: you don't know if that was the real deal? Yeah. Yeah. I get you.
1: I don't know. Do you think it's the real deal?
0: I'd like to think it is. But, mm-hmm. but again, I, I mean, those people were way too scared for it to be anything other right. than that. right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But, but whether it was a genuine, Alien encounter or somebody playing a hell of a trick? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know how you make that a trick, right? Um, I I wouldn't even begin to know what kind of technology you'd need to pull that trick, right? But yeah, they saw something. I mean, even George Knapp, after interviewing that that family, says that they were absolutely their their minds were blown. They actually right. had an experience they believe was genuine. So yeah, I. I think, as far as they're concerned, they had an alien experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move on. A 2,000 year old substance has been unearthed at an ancient Roman site and it possesses extraordinary properties.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. Scientists have unearthed something remarkable at several ancient Roman archeolo- archaeological and construction sites, revealing artifacts coated in a naturally um, formed substance. With unique modern technological potential. Which again raises the question what is this stuff? Fragments of ancient Roman glass vessels, having shattered long ago and left beneath the accumulation of earth over time, are known to possess striking colorful surfaces that result from their exposure to minerals and their soil covering along with changes in temperature and other environmental conditions they encounter over the centuries. Now scientists have learned that the fragments, which have been used in the creation of modern jewelry over the years due to the vivid tapestry of iridescent tones they showcase, offer much more than just beautiful colors to capture the human eye. Engineering professors Fiorenzo Aminetto and Julia, I believe this is Giadetti, at tufts university's silk lab and their colleagues say they have learned that the molecular structure of these tiny roman glass shards become rearranged over thousands of years resulting in the formation of what physicists call photonic crystals photonic crystals are tiny nanostructures possessing ordered arrangements of atoms which can produce unique optical effects in the way that they filter and reflect light these crystals are found in nature in various animals that have evolved to produce reflective iridescent coloration, in, including various kinds of fish and other organisms. Scientists have, have had success with engineering them artificially as well, with their various uses found in everything from optical switches and communication devices to waveguides, lasers, mirrors, and even stealth technologies. However, the presence of photonic crystals on the shards of ancient Roman glass hadn't necessarily been the first thing that came to mind for the research team. This beautiful sparkling piece of glass on the shelf attracted our attention. Uh, Aminetto later admitted about a particular shard recovered from a site close to modern-day Achillea, Italy, which was once a Roman city on the Natiso River. The glass, which the team affectionately called the "Wow glass, was soon revealed to be a photonic crystalline nanofabrication. It's really remarkable that you have glass that is sitting in the mud for two millennia, and you end up with something that is a textbook example of a nanophotonic component, Aminetto recently said in a statement. Aminetto Giadetti And their colleagues say they have detected unique atomic and mineral structures, which over time were generated from exposure to the environmental conditions surrounding the Roman glass that included changes in the pH and variances in the groundwater present. The glass, which is believed to date to sometime between 100 BCE and 100 CE, may have its origins in Egyptian sand, according to a recent analysis. The crystals grown on the surface of the glass are also a reflection of the changes in conditions that occurred in the ground as a city revolved a record of its environmental history, Giadetti uh, said in a statement. In addition to its age and origins, the team was able to reveal its structural composition and elemental analysis with the aid of scanning electron mi- microscopy. The unique golden mirrored patina on the exterior of the glass the team says, is a result of what are known as brag stacks, which are structures that form layers of silica with alternating degrees of higher and lower density. Ghiedetti uh, said the formation of the structures is likely a process of corrosion and reconstruction, where he says the soil and minerals surrounding the glass shards combined with rainwater and other factors determine the diffusion of minerals and a cyclical corrosion of the silica in the glass. At the same time, assembly of 100 nanometers thick layers combining the silica and minerals also occurred in cycles, Ghiadedi adds. The result is an incredibly ordered arrangement of hundreds of layers of crystalline material. Ghiadedi and the team hope that the processes that give rise to these unique atomic and material properties can be replicated and accelerated in the lab, which could help researchers uncover ways of growing optical materials rather than having to manufacture them, which would be pretty interesting. Aminetto, um, Ghiadetti, and uh, the team's findings were the focus of a study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences titled Photonic Crystals Built by Time in the Ancient Roman Glass. Kind of interesting stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you ever take a breath, like when they say... I mean, that just kind of came out weird. Um, when did they say archaeologists found, do you ever just go, oh, what did they find? They should leave it alone. Like, I always have like this, I don't know, this feeling of like, uh-oh. Like, <laughs> like they
0: found the new curse of King Tut's tomb?
1: Right, right. Just whenever you hear that when you start out with archaeologists discovered, you're like, oh, crap. Like this foreboding just, ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes like some bad's not going to come out of, or something bad is going to come out of this. It's not going to be good. <laughs> yeah, no.
0: You know, after talking to Timothy Hogan a couple weeks ago, um, uh-huh. I, uh huh. I now I kind of go, oh, what'd you find? Because <laughs> okay, he he kind of um, when you hear that show or when you talk with them, some of the things they find now in e in Egyptian tombs are fascinating. I mean. The idea that there's stargates in mm-hmm. Egyptian tombs. Some of the ones that even archaeologists don't go into right now. Um, and Mally, I'll tell you off air some of the stuff that, mm-hmm. that he was talking about. Um, there are just some bizarre stuff in Egyptian tombs. And, and we, I think we think of Egypt, Egyptian tombs in dated, in dated thinking you know right. we think of them as death chambers
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the way that timothy hogan put it they were you know these things were constructed over decades so they were actually probably used as communication sites not just death sites mm-hmm. so they were there while the while the pharaoh was alive so the pharaoh probably went to them and used them for communications to the gods, okay, or what they considered gods. So they might have been communicating with other beings
1: mm-hmm.
0: from that site. So these were very familiar temples to them. They were active sites. So to to say that these are um, places for the dead, like a, a cemetery, mm-hmm. and to think that there's evil magic or curses that, that lie within these things waiting for us if we dare to disturb them, I think is kind of old fashioned thinking or hocus pocus.
1: But when they find like these, like the box, that box that was found deep in the ocean and, or was it a door? Or it was something. It's just like when they find all these weird things, you're like, mm, you should just leave that stuff alone. Like I feel like sometimes they uncover things that should not be uncovered.
0: There may be some things that are there that shouldn't be uncovered. Sure. Sure. Uh, but um, but some of those things may be treasure, treasure that mm-hmm. was meant to be found by their by their relatives or by the survivors of those people, things that they left behind for their uh, descendants, descendants, right? Um, and not meant to be found by strangers. There's a reason they left what they left there. And it wasn't meant for uh, people hundreds of years later. And unfortunately, it never got found.
1: Right. Um, they hit it too well. They
0: hit it too well.
1: Or <laughs> like the, the Christmas presents where you're like, where did I put it? And then you find yeah. it like 10 years later. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Or or the message never got sent. You know, mm. The message never got sent correctly. Or it was meant to be found by a good example. And I can only use Timothy Hogan and Templar logic, you know, Um, one group of Templar leaves Templar treasure for a group of Templar years in the making, you know, so that band of Templar, whether it be 300 years from now, 400 years from now finds Templar treasure. Well, at least the Templar found it and the Templar continues. You know, but if Mm -hmm. Joe Schmo finds Templar's treasure, says, look what I found. Well, it wasn't really meant for you. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, the show, and I know people are going to think this isn't a very popular theory, but the Oak Island show Mm kind of, I don't watch a lot of episodes of it because it kind of sticks in my craw a little bit.
1: Okay.
0: uh, Just because of what Oak Island is supposed to represent. If there is anything at Oak Island, and I don't think there is,
1: mm-hmm. I think
0: everything in Oak Island was pulled out.
1: A long time ago. A long time
0: ago. I, don't th- I think whatever's there is just junk. It's just, you know, whatever is left behind. Um, isn't meant for the guys who are digging there. If they find it, they should probably turn it over. But they won't because they spent the money to dig there. Yeah. So they'll claim it's theirs.
1: Right. All the money they've spent, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, but they gotta make it worth their while. Sure, the 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 uh TV company will will offset some of the cost of that digging, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, barely half of it, if that. It might be a quarter, it might be a drop in the bucket. Right. But um yeah.
1: That show's been on forever. It has
0: been because they, they know how to they know how to string that out. You know, they, right. know how to, they know how to keep you in suspense. I just don't think there's anything there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But they'll keep going back if we keep watching. True. You know, that's, that's... Well,
1: now they've gone to other countries, too. Yeah. To find the history of, like, the Templars and the... Sure,
0: sure. And they'll keep chasing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. They could, they could keep doing that show for years, Mally. they They, they mm-hmm. just could. They just could. So, there you go.
1: They could always go on the supernatural part of the island. Supposedly things happen there. They like could. Because I think they talked about it in one episode, and they had Brian Kano, I think, also there, and investigate or something, because of strange happenings.
0: Sure. But then you kind of change the, if you do that permanently, True. you change the makeup of the show.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're right.
0: And I think the people who watch that show are, are treasure hunters. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, and thought that there's a curse. Yeah. That the, makes the, it cool. The curse, I think,
0: Kind of hangs over the digging, you know, mm-hmm. and and people people want kind of the Indiana Jones type, mm-hmm. you know, they want the Indiana Jones feel to the show, the modern day Indiana Jones feel to the show.
1: Mm. But aren't a couple of uh, members on that show? Aren't they? Uh, aren't they Freemasons? Because I thought I've seen some of them wear like Masonic stuff.
0: I'm not sure. I don't. I, I don't. I don't watch it enough.
1: Yeah. No. I think I've seen them wear. Like a couple of them have worn uh, Masonic things, like a hat and some other stuff I think I've seen them wear. Hmm. I don't watch it a lot either. I just kind of – Derek watches it, so once in a while I'll just kind of sit there and watch. But, yeah, Yeah. I think a couple of them are Masonic members.
0: Interesting. Interesting stuff. Well, now, let's take our break. And when we come back – uh, we've got some AI stories that are a little disturbing. We'll talk about those when we come back. My own personal uh, Halloween scare for this, uh, for this Halloween hangover edition. Um, we'll talk about haunted houses when we come back. And we'll also talk about a young boy who remembers. This is just disturbing. Uh, remembers being miscarried and remembers mm. coming back. Yikes. Yikes. You know reincarnation. I don't know how you feel about reincarnation. We'll talk about it when we come back, Mel. But, but just the fact that he remembers that entire process,
1: yeah, uh,
0: is just got to be disturbing. So we'll talk about yeah. that when we come back. You're listening to Supernatural News Wednesday with Tim and Malley right here on the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio on a Supernatural News Wednesday. It's your buddies, Tim and Malley, And, uh, boy, we, we got an action-packed Supernatural News Wednesday here. We're not doing Parashare today. We're going to wait for Bruiser to get back next week, and then we'll tackle your, your Parashare, because we did get some Parashare submissions over this past week. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you guys, too, for t- turning in some news stories to us this week. Um, if you have a new story for us, if you have your parish share stories for us, just send them to Tim at darknessradio.com. And again, if you want to send us a voice note, which we got a voice note this week, uh, just go to darknessradioshow.com. Click on that blue button on the right hand side of the uh, website and you have two minutes to submit your voice story. If you need more time, click on the blue button again. You got another two minutes. Just keep rinsing and repeating and I'll stitch them all together and then uh, we'll play it here on the show. And uh, again, feel free to take as much time as you need to tell your story and we'll edit it down and put it here on the show. And we'd love to hear your lovely voice here on Darkness Radio telling your story. Oh, Mally, it's that time again. (laughs) It's time to get into some nightmare fuel. Just because Halloween's over doesn't mean we can't get scary. (laughs) Uh, Like I mentioned yesterday, Nadia Udin is going to be on tomorrow on the show. We're going to talk about AI. And one of those things we're going to talk about, Mally, is about the afterlife in AI Mm. and how AI would assist in keeping the brain alive so that we could talk to the deceased and their consciousness within the brain for up to a year, which is frightening. Mhm. Would you want to be kept around for a year after you died?
1: I don't think so, cuz that yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it, I don't think it would be me.
0: That's the thing. That's the argument. Is it you or is it Is it a facsimile of your consciousness that's being recreated by your brain to communicate with your loved ones? And as a loved one, do you want to be led astray? by what AI is farming from your brain. I don't know. It seems like one big lie to me. Yeah. You know? Afterlife Hope with Project. I, I, wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Afterlife, afterlife Hope with Project launched to combine AI and DNA to revive loved ones. It just sounds scary. Ray Kurzweil and a host of other ambitious scientists are trying to take major next steps with AI. The revival of the dead. Within three decades, he hopes to create a dad bot in the flesh. Mm. That doesn't sound like a zombie. I don't know what does. A real afterlife may be a genuine possibility, just not in the way we typically think of it. Researchers are scrambling to discover whether we can use artificial intelligence to recreate our lost relatives and are even taking samples from the bodies of the dead to try and bring them back to life. This is just chilling. Ray Kurzweil is one such man. The inventor and futurist lost his father when he was 22 years old. For the past decade, he has been using AI to try and return his father from the dead. Kurzweil Uh, has been feeding his father's old letters, essays, and musical compositions through an AI computer with the hopes that it can recreate some elements of his personality. But the big dreamer hasn't stopped there. Kurzweil is now attempting to use nanotechnology and DNA from his father's bones in the next phase of his mission to revive the dead. Currently, the dad bot is able to hold a level of conversation once telling Kurzweil that the reason he loved gardening was that it's the kind of work that never ends, and that the meaning of life was love. I actually had a conversation with him, which felt a lot like talking to him. Kurt told Rolling Stone earlier this
1: year. But yeah. it's not him. I mean, I don't know. I just I don't know. yeah. It's it's not
0: right. With an act for predicting technological advancements, he predicted the fall of the Soviet Union due to decentralized technologies and that a computer would beat a human at chess by 1998, Kurzweil now believes the talking dadbot will be released widely. We'll be able to create something like a large language model that represents somebody else by having enough information, he said, meaning we one day may be able to touch base with dead relatives. He believes that by 2045, people will be connecting their brains to machines in an event he describes as singularity. After that, he hopes to finalize the next phase of his father's revival, the physical resurrection. Nanomachines or tiny robots could be the, and that's exactly one of the things that's in Nadia's book. Mm. But these nanorobots are actually put into the people trying to communicate with the brain. Because the nanorobots exist in the dead person's brain and then in your brain. And that's how you talk back and forth with the brain.
1: Oh, nothing can go wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> God. Could you imagine if someone like hacked it? Like how some days they'll hack like baby monitors and your, you know, mm-hmm. your other stuff that you have in your house. <laughs> I won't say the words because I don't want to go. I don't know if you've got it. Mm-hmm. but uh, I do. Yeah. yeah, but you know how people can hack into those? Yeah. <laughs> what if they hacked into this?
0: Well, now, in Nadia's <laughs> book, the nanomachines are dispelled out of the body within a certain amount of time. So you have, okay. to take, you have to take a pill before, like, 24 hours before you go in to communicate with the brain because they expel out of the body, like, within a few days after taking them. Okay. So they're not permanent. But Still.
1: I'll just let my loved ones pass on and have great memories of them. (laughs) I, I, I don't know. I watch too many horror movies where things go wrong. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, nanomachines or tiny robots could be the key to real resurrection after the singularity Kurzweil says we can find some of his dna around his gravesite. that's a lot of information right there the ai will send down some nanobots get some bone or teeth extract some dna and put it all together then they'll get some information from my brain and anyone else who still remembers him he explained Kurzweil is not alone in his endeavors. Joshua Barbeau used an early version of OpenAI's GPT-3 to create an AI version of his dead fiancee, Jessica, following him to chat with his late girlfriend online. It's been eight years since you died, the 33-year-old writer from Bradford, Canada, said to his Jessica bot. Yes, I know. I think that's enough time to stop telling me how you miss me, honey. I am right here, you know. How's your life? She replied. Oh, that's creepy. Mm -hmm. No other family members were willing to engage in conversation with the Jessica bot. Intellectually, I know it's not really Jessica, but your emotions are not an intellectual thing, Joshua told the San Francisco Chronicle. Programmer James Vlahos also created a dad bot when his father died of cancer in 2016. We knew we were going to lose and were scrambling to find ways to remember him, James told the Daily Beast. Meanwhile, I was working on a book about conversational AI, so I was learning about all of these ways that we can teach computers to talk in human-like ways. That was what gave me this idea that I could make this memory-sharing chatbot that I came to call DadBot. Vlahos has his own app, Hereafter.ai, where users can build up memories to create a chatbot which relatives can chat to after death. Um, and that's the, the Jessica thing that they've built together.
1: Don't you think this also stops them from moving on? Yes. Yes. Because you stop healing because you, can, you still have a little part of them that you hold on to.
0: Yep. It stunts your, your emotional growth.
1: hmm
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're right. 100%, Mel. Dylan Solan- Solanke. Uh, founder of podcast platform story locker agrees with kurtzweil that these services may become much more widespread in the future but warns warns of the potential pitfalls he told mail online advances in ai have put us on the edge of a new frontier when it comes to new technology or to how technology can persevere or even extend our legacies after we die Armed with the extraordinary visual capabilities of AI, it's seen through the rise of deepfake videos. The potential could be there to create 3D holographic avatars of long-lost family members filling empty chairs around the Christmas dinner table. Nothing is more valuable than our human memories and relationships, and we must consider whether using AI to bring back loved ones in spirit is a Pandora's box we shouldn't be opening. I gotta tell you, Mal, I missed my grandparents more than anything on both sides of the family. Mm
1: -hmm. I wouldn't
0: do this in a minute.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't either.
0: I just wouldn't. I, I, you can't, you can't bring back what's past, Mm -hmm. you know, you just can't. Life is meant to move on for a reason. I don't know what it is, but, and it's not, it's not up to me to answer life's great cosmic questions but uh, there's a reason there's life cycles you know Yes. and whether you believe you reincarnate which we'll talk about later in the program or whether you believe that you have one life on this planet and then you go to a heavenly reward um, there's a reason for all of it and to hang on to the physical here what's the point mm-hmm. you know what's the point it, it shows uh it shows a, 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 an insecurity mm-hmm. you know it just does we'll move on with more nightmare fuel <laughs> sam altman warns that ai is learning superhuman persuasion which is kind of scary too He worried that it may lead to some very strange outcomes. Humanity is likely still a long way away from building artificial general intelligence, or AGI, or an AI that matches the cognitive function of humans, if, of course, we're ever able, or actually able to do so. But whether such a future comes to pass or not, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman has a warning. This is from the guy himself. A.I. doesn't have to be A.G.I. level smart to take control of our feeble human minds. (laughs) That's encouraging. Yeah. Hmm. I expect A.I. to be capable of superhuman persuasion well before it is superhuman at general intelligence, Altman tweeted on Tuesday, which may lead to some very strange outcomes. While Altman didn't elaborate on what those outcomes might be, it's not a far-fetched prediction. User-facing AI chatbots like OpenAI's ChatGPT are designed to be good conversationalists and have become eerily capable of sounding convincing, even if they're entirely incorrect about something. They're incorrect about a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. At the same time, it's also true that humans are already beginning to form emotional connections to various chatbots, making them sound a lot more convincing. Indeed, AI bots have already played a supportive role in some pretty troubling events, case in point, a then-19-year-old human who became so infatuated with his AI partner that he was convinced by it to attempt to assassinate the late Queen Elizabeth.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah, which did happen. Disaffected humans have flocked to the darkest corners of the internet to search of community and validation for decades now, and it isn't hard to picture a scenario where a bad actor could target one of these more vulnerable people via a chatbot and persuade them to do some bad stuff. And while disaffected individuals would be an obvious target, it's also worth pointing out how susceptible the average internet user is to digital scams and misinformation. Throw AI into the mix and bad actors uh, have an incredibly convincing tool with which to beguile the masses, but it's not just covert or overt abuse cases that we need to worry about technology is deeply woven into most people's daily lives and even if there's no emotional or romantic connection between a human and a bot we already put a lot of trust into it Uh, this arguably primes us to put the same faith into ai systems as well a reality that can turn into an ai hallucination and into a potentially much more serious problem I don't know, Mel. It's uh, the fact that Sam Altman, and, or I'm sorry, Sam, Sam Altman himself, the guy who's uh, in charge of open AI, is saying that, hey, it can already get a hold of you and, and twist you is, is kind of alarming.
1: Yeah. It's just not a good thing.
0: One more to chill your bones on this Halloween Hangover Edition. There's an article in the Daily Beast that allows you to watch a Boston Dynamics robot dog talk using OpenAI's chat GPT. It's scary enough that they walk around on all fours and can do some pretty scary stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: From the bickering droids in Star Wars to the robotic companions and NPCs in video games like Fallout 4, talking robots have long been firmly in the realm of science fiction, however, that may have finally changed since the explosion of artificial intelligence in the past year. In fact, we may soon have the chattering robo-dogs giving walking tours in the city near you, courtesy of the mad scientist at Boston Dynamics. In a video released on Thursday, the company showcased a robotic dog infused with OpenAI's ChatGPT. The bot can be seen speaking in a variety of voices and accents using and including a debonair British gentleman, a sarcastic and irreverent American named Josh, and a teenage girl who is so, like, over it.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that would annoy me.
0: I think i kicked the dog down the road if that happened. Oh, my goodness. There's been a lot of new advances around AI technology, specifically generative AI technologies. Things that are able to write poetry and paint pictures or chat with people, Matt Klingensmith Smith. Principal Software Engineer for Robot Autonomy at Boston Dynamics said in the video, we're interested in seeing how we could use technologies like these for robotics. The robot was a result of a hackathon in which the Boston Dynamics engineers combined a variety of AI technologies, including chat GPT, voice recognition software, voice creation software, and image processing AI, with the company's famous spot robot dog known for its ability to jump rope and reinforce the police state the bot also had some upgrades including image recognition software combined with a head sensor that the engineers decorated with hats and googly eyes producing incredibly creepy results um
1: god is it gonna go nuts when it sees a squirrel i think so (laughs) may i have the pleasure of knowing your names i'm matt and that's vache
0: this is its voice.
1: A pleasure to meet you, Matt and Vacha. Shall we commence our journey? The charging stations where Spot robots rest and recharge is our first point of interest. Follow what do you me, think? Mm. Let's proceed to the rock- I don't like it. Spot. How do you like
0: your job? Ah, Mr. Matt, my employment as a tour guide is great satisfaction.
1: I find the dissemination of knowledge rather rewarding. Don't he you? sounds like an old movie star.
0: Yeah, I don't I, I, I'm not following that dog. I'm just not. (laughs) Some people may love that accent. I didn't. No. Mm -mm. Nope. No, thank you. No, thank you, robot dog. I'm not following you. (laughs) Just not happening. Well, should we move from one creepy thing to another? Sure. Let's do it. That's right. Halloween Hangover Edition. The Curse of the Black-Eyed Child that Haunted a British Countryside. Leaving locals terrified. This happened, it's been happening since the 1980s. Do you remember black-eyed kids in the 1980s?
1: No. I would say probably in the last 20 years, but not before that.
0: Yeah. Well, since the 1980s, there have been reports of a black-eyed child in Staffordshire over in the UK. And while some people are skeptical, others are terrified about the ghostly creature. Towns and villages have their fair share of horror tales. And one of them is the Curse of the Black-Eyed Child, which has terrified locals across the British co- countryside for decades. Over the years, there have been reports of eerie encounters around Cannock Chase in Staffordshire, and sightings of the ghostly sh- creature were first recorded in the 1980s. While some dismiss the claims, others believe it is the tormented soul of a young girl who was murdered in the area during the 1960s, and some are even convinced it's an alien or a demon male. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're like "Mm -hmm, sure mm -hmm, right
1: no just the whole black eyes with a demon yeah
0: yeah I know right Uh, during the coronavirus pandemic in the summer of 2021 Kylie and Ben said they saw the ghoul at Birch's Valley the two teenagers whose names have been changed to protect their identity had been separated due to the COVID pandemic so they decided to camp illegally together in the middle of the forest good job kids (laughs) (laughs) The youngsters, who were 17 at the time, recounted their ordeal to supernatural investigator and author Lee Brickley. Their tale is featured in the new book, Haunted Canic Chase True Ghost Stories from the UK's Spookiest Location. It was around midnight when the teens heard something moving around outside their tent. Thinking it could be a deer, they remained, not a deer, but a deer. <laughs> uh, they remained still and quiet, not wishing to spook it. But when they realized they could hear footsteps, they unzipped the tent to take a peek. That's the wrong move. Both campers heard the sound of a small child giggling. Oh, God. Oh,
1: okay, that's creepier yeah. than the black eyes.
0: <laughs> so they turned on their flashlights, lighting up the dark woodland to try and find the source. Ben spotted it first, running from tree to tree, hiding itself. No mm. oh, time to go home. Exactly. It was hiding behind the trunks. And occasionally peering out toward the couple, before finally stepping out into the clearing in front of them. Do you? Would you bring a gun out into the woods if you're going to do this?
1: Uh, a gun? Yeah. Uh, probably not. I'm not a big gun fan. I know they're in Britain,
0: so you can't. They don't. Own right. A lot of guns in Britain, or a knife, or something that you can defend mm. yourself with. A shovel. <laughs> a whack. So you can you can you can dig your own grave when the monster comes.
1: (laughs) I'll swing at it like uh, what was her name, Shelly Duvall, in *The Shining*, where she's like basically missing him on the steps. It's like, come on, woman, you could have hit him by now. Which is like, ah, ah." yeah, yeah, I'll I'll swing like that, the shovel. (laughs) That's
0: right. You're swinging for the fences with that deal. Yeah, Kylie said I was absolutely terrified. I'd read the stories in the news about the black-eyed child but it wasn't until the thing stood right in front of me that I could quite believe them. I knew instantly that we were dealing with the real thing because it moved in ways humans simply can't move. It was like it could teleport from one place to another when it was moving around and hiding behind the trees. Yeah. Ben added, I was shining my torch right at her, flashlight, and she just stood there staring at us with her head slightly dipped. Mm." Hmm. That's when the giggling started to get louder and louder. It really sounded like it was coming from all around us, even though I could see she was right in front of us. It was really disorienting for for a few seconds. Then she bent down for a moment as if adjusting her shoes, stood back up and ran off down a nearby path through a dense section of trees. The frightened pair huddled together in their tent. Sure they did. Waiting for the sun to rise, and when they came outdoors at 7 a.m., they found piles of stones evenly spaced around the perimeter of their tent and strange stick formations hanging from the trees. Which that lo- sounds
1: like, uh, what was that movie? Um, where everyone thought it was real, documentary, where they had oh, the stick figures in the stones when the pla- they went camping?
0: Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the strange stick formations were hanging from the trees, which looked like dream catchers. Oh, well, so she protected them overnight. hmm Well, that's not scary. If she, would have came <laughs> in, if she would have came in the tent and ripped their throat out with their teeth, that would have been scary.
1: mm mm-hmm. uh, I had a family reunion, the uh, border of Tennessee, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So you know how there's all the horror stories of the Appala- Appalachia? Yeah. I always say Appalachian, but I know that's not how you pronounce it. Um, mountains and stuff. So I was telling my cousin... I'm like, OK, so because she was in a separate cab cabin kind of down the down the road from the farmhouse we were staying in. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I'm like, don't look up in the woods because we're in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you hear your name called, do not answer it. Like I was freaking her out. So she ended up sleeping with the whole, the lights on the whole entire time and covering all of her windows. <laughs> 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 the whole weekend. <laughs> Because <laughs> I freaked her out. <laughs> oh god! Oh, my. But what's even funnier is her dad and I were gonna go out, like out to her cabin, and he was gonna do like some type of like recording, like a voice recording, or something, and we were just gonna torture her. But yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> we're like, you're gonna see things in the woods. Don't look out. Get to your cabin by nighttime.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Shame on you.
1: <laughs> oh, she loves me
0: Uh uh-huh sure she does (laughs) hi abby (laughs) yeah uh slightly shaken they packed up and (laughs) you're so mean uh slightly shaken Hey, she
1: got the good cabin i got stuck with my parents
0: oh so you're gonna scare her out of the good cabin so you can have it Uh yeah
1: i had a room with my parents
0: yeah well that's how you get her out of the good cabin i
1: guess (laughs) <laughs> just because she brought a dog she got separate mm-hmm. accommodations we'll see you next time bring the dogs i know right oh god they would just go nuts see
0: slightly shaken they packed up and started the 15-minute walk back to ben's car suddenly kylie spotted a small child with black eyes peering back at her from behind an oak tree and screamed it's not over Mel. it's never over yeah ben said he shouted leave us alone as the pair ran off towards his vehicle Leave us alone. Uh, author <laughs> Lee has been looking into the spooky goings on a canic chase for the last decade and has released four books about his findings. He believes he had his own encounter with the black eyed child in Birch's Valley back around April of 2018. Lee says she appeared about a hundred meters in front of me. She stared right at me for about 30 seconds and then vanished without a trace. He also claims to have witnessed some, someone in an old soldier's uniform, walk into the German war cemetery. Only to follow them inside and discover they had disappeared. Referring to why he believes there is so much supernatural activity at the site, Lee said, I tend to believe that Canuck Chase is somewhat of a paranormal portal area where beings and entities from the next world can migrate into our own. I believe the woods are haunted with many spirits of the dead, but there are also uh, lots of monster sightings that happen there. And I think those creatures come from another much darker place.
1: You've never seen a black-eyed child, have you?
0: No. Yeah,
1: me neither. No,
0: just my, uh, just my nephews.
1: <laughs> so there you go.
0: Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't seen uh, black-eyed kids. What the heck is going on there? I got AI. Yeah, I thought music. we
1: moved in yeah. or moved on. I mean, no,
0: no, no, no. That <laughs> AI music was going off there. No, um, no, no. Just my nephews. They're, mm-hmm. but they're they're black-eyed because they're Polish. So there you go. <laughs> There you go. Uh, Black Ica's are Polish. Partially Polish. Got a little Polish in them. That didn't sound right either, I know. Nope. That's one of these two. There you go. Uh, Here's a story about visiting a famous haunted house at night. We're continuing with the Halloween Hangover edition. Cool. Supernatural news. See, I'm bringing the scary today, Mal.
1: Awesome. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: This story says, I visited an infamous haunted house at night and the attic gave me chills. After visiting the notoriously haunted Orzel Hall, Mirror Reporter Julia Bannum was left feeling more than just a little bit unnerved at how much creepier the infamous old house becomes after darkness falls. Well, they're all creepy in the dark. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the story. Uh, Regarded by many to be one of the most haunted manor houses anywhere in the UK, the grade one listed property uh, has been known to leave even the most ardent disbelievers suppressing a shudder. Naturally skeptic members of the staff have been left grappling for logical explanations following countless eerie encounters, while daring visitors who sneakily tried to stay there after hours will usually regret their decisions sharpish frantically flashing their uh, flashlights at departing cars they sound like a bunch of scaredy cats to me mally Mm
1: -hmm. just saying they're not pros
0: no not at all uh this is written by uh julia she says i've long been fascinated by the history of this imposing sulfur-based tudor mansion and have previously enjoyed tours in broad daylight for halloween however i felt candlelight would be much more appropriate. <laughs> You're going to learn otherwise. <laughs> uh, so decided to pay a visit in the pitch black with only a small torch as my guiding lights. Oh, you were in for so much fun. Nothing could have prepared me for the disconcerting and extremely creepy feeling that descends at Orzel, uh once night falls. And at one point, I found myself wanting to run. Well, you probably should have. Dating back to 1177. Imagine that, Mally. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ordsel Hall features a breathtaking Tudor-era Great Hall, said to be one of the most haunted places in the building. It's here where you also begin to see how concerned the long-dead tenants were about keeping evil forces at bay, with visible etchings known as witch marks intended to ward off witches. After exploring the Great Hall, we headed off into the infamous Star Chamber, named as such because of the stars that adorn the ceiling the epicenter of, the, of much of the activity in the house, our guide revealed this was where she experienced her first eerie incident after the huge globe in the corner apparently began spinning on its own. Later that night, one of the visitors reported seeing the exact same thing. In terms of named ghosts, fair-haired visitors apparently needed to remain vigilant for the mischievous spirit of Sir John Radcliffe, who reportedly has a particular penchant for pestering blonde women. Oh, you would love that place then, Matt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the doorway between the Great Hall and Star Chamber is also said to be frequented by the White Lady. There's always one. Uh, thought to be, or thought by some to be the ghost of Margaret Radcliffe, who in life served as the Lady-in-waiting for Queen Elizabeth I. Devastated by the death of her brother John, Margaret's request to return home uh, were denied by the Queen she was buried in London after dying of a broken heart. There are those, however, who believe she did come home with her ghostly figure seen going up and down the stairs. There have also been frequent reports of a forlorn-looking woman clad in what appears to be bridal attire, wandering around the garden at around 6 a.m., right where a church used to stand. We later headed upstairs where a very grumpy old man ghost has been heard grumbling and wandering between the two interlocking rooms, perhaps, as our guide joked, because there's now a cupboard there. Upon entering the ladies' bedroom, we were initially in for a shock after hearing a strange tapping sound from the cupboard. After a a fair few shrieks, it quickly became apparent that it was just a cheeky organizer stifling their giggles. (laughs) (laughs) Although we ourselves didn't experience my real... any real life ghoulishness this room has had its share of odd moments some time ago a former employee was leaving after some 18 years and after tearful goodbyes were shared other members of the staff were stunned to find out what appeared to be a pistol shot in the window pane of the lady's bedroom fired from the inside the cupboard where the teasing organizer had lurked Uh, which once served as a passageway, also contained some very spooky-looking handprints reminiscent of the house from the Blair Witch Project. Naturally, I decided to hop inside and shut the door and almost immediately regretted my bravado after inadvertently frightening myself when my bag brushed noisily against the wall. I couldn't imagine hiding there alone for more than a minute, joke or not. We then went up a short flight of stairs to a nursery, which everyone in our group agreed had a much lighter, happier feel than other areas. Ordsall Hall is said to be haunted by a little girl whose presence is announced by a strong scent of rose and lavender. In the 1960s, the two daughters of then-caretaker family reported playing with a little girl called Celery like the vegetable, believe it or not. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Clad in a green Elizabethan-style dress, initially dismissed as an imaginary friend, later research showed a child named Cecily Radcliffe had uh, lived there until her death at the age of five. The one time a complete non-believer former boss was reportedly ever freaked out at the house was when they found themselves unable to get through a doorway as a small child was dancing around them an incident which lasted for around 10 minutes. It was then time to head up to the very dark and very creepy attic, which contains portraits with unnervingly lifelike eyes and a doll straight out of the Annabelle movies. Unsurprisingly, it was here I began to feel a little uncomfortable and felt a genuine sense of relief when it was time to descend the shadowy staircase back to the grander rooms of the house. The creakiness made it tricky to tell where footsteps were coming from, and for one dreadful moment, I fancied an unseen figure was following close behind me. Panicked, I very nearly ran into a fellow visitor, immediately scolding myself for being so silly. I'm not the only one to have experienced such nervous sensations in the attic. Our guide later shared that some feel a strong, very strong sense of negativity and unhappiness in these rooms. Which would have once been used as the servants' living quarters. I unfortunately didn't spot any ghosts during my time at Ordsel, but a fellow guest did report a door being inexplicably slammed in their face while walking around. Whether rude poltergeists or unusually fierce draft, we'll perhaps never know. Jennifer Holland, commercial manager at Salford Museums and Galleries, told the Mirror. I arrived at Orzel Hall in 2018 as a non-believer, but over the years, the spirits of the hall have played many tricks on me, such as turning lights on and off, doors being locked behind me, and a few unexplained noises. The hall, however, continues to feel a warm and safe place to work in, and I believe if there are ghosts at the hall, they are happy that we are here, caring for the building and making sure it is protected and restored. She added, every morning I now say hello to them and treat them as a friendly additions to the hall. Other staff, more in tune with the paranormal, have had friendly verbal greetings and regular sightings of the resident ghosts, but none of us feel like they are mean or mean us any harm. They are simply friendly reminders that we work in an 800-year-old historic building. So there you go. Friendly ghosts, Mallie, Friendly mm-hmm. ghosts! And the creepiest building that she's ever been in. <laughs> I love it when it's it's the creepiest 11D77 11, 11, building I've ever been in. But they're the friendliest ghost we've ever met.
1: Right. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I'd probably be more nervous about getting lost in this building than actually um, seeing a ghost.
0: Right. Yeah. I would.
1: Yeah. Too. Yeah. I have no sense of direction. So.
0: Well, especially with small little hallways that you can get trapped in. Yeah. You know? We're also going inside Britain's six most haunted pubs on a Halloween hangover edition of Supernatural News. From dark figures to moving glasses, hopefully this isn't as inviting and warm as the other place was. It was kind of a letdown, <laughs> mm-hmm. just saying. A sad cavalier poltergeist, glasses taking themselves to be washed, strange grunting noises, and dark shadowy figures lurking in the cellar. These pubs seem to have their more than their fair share of hauntings. One of the boozers is said to be home to a spirit of a little boy named Billy, uh, Mm. who enjoys playing games. I think we've uh, maybe talked about that one before. You may encounter a headless Earl doomed to linger for all of eternity, and all of these uh, hostelries are remarkably situated in and around greater Manchester. According to Too Chill, the area is home to a number of pubs said to be Full of terrors and tales. I think we talked about this with Bruiser, the uh, the area of Manchester with the different uh, pubs. Let's uh, let's go through them quickly. Let's see here. We've got. Um, it says you may not want to encounter a headless earl while <laughs> nipping in for a pint at one of the oldest pubs in Britain, Ye Old Man and Scythe and Bolton, but the seventh earl. Of Derby, James Stanley, who was executed just outside, may have other ideas. Located on Churchgate Street, this host- hostelry uh, has become well known for its jam nights. But the
1: <laughs> Earl—that sounds funny.
0: Yeah, I know they have jam nights. <laughs> uh, but the Earl, whose family are said to have once owned the pub, spent his final hours here before being beheaded for his part in the Bolton massacre, uh, where more than a thousand people were killed. The chair is said to have sat on its The chair he is said to have sat on is rumored to still be in the pub, so watch where you sit. Oh, you don't want to sit on his chair. Per is it Perveral? Perveral Perveral? of the Peak is another pub that is said to be haunted. They probably are hating me for mispronouncing their name, but that doesn't seem to have phased landlady Nancy, who is 91 years old who is, wow, who has been behind the bar for an incredible five decades this year. However, that may be because the presence in the pub is very well behaved and is basically an unpaid member of the staff with tales of pint glasses levitating and finding their own way uh, to the pot wash, a very useful addition in any hostelry. So they wash their own dishes there. Yeah. Very nice of them. That can't be that can't be scary. It's built on the site of an ancient druid temple. The Ringo Bells in Middleton dates from the 12th century and is another pub. The Ringo Bells is where glasses have been said to do strange things. With regulars reportedly sighting glasses sliding along the bar as well as seeing the ghost himself, known as the Sad Cavalier, but nicknamed Edward. So, you don't have to call him Sad Cavalier. You can, you, you can <laughs> call, him, call him Eddie for short. Uh, he's also said to have a habit of thumping loudly on the floor and making some strange grunting noises.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So far, I'm not impressed, Mal.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Thumping sh- and grunting.
0: Yeah, okay. thumping and grunting. There was a song about that, wasn't there? Uh, <laughs> the Shakespeare in the city center has a sad tale to tell. It is said that the ghost of a young girl haunts it with varying stories about how she came to die. Some say she was murdered by an evil chef. Aren't all chefs evil?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or angry. Or
0: angry, yeah. Uh, And there is also the story of how she set herself alight after being attacked by the chef or that she set herself alight while lighting candles. And the chef in question is also said to have hung himself after attacking the girl and being unable to live with what he had done with the rope marks from that grizzly episode still visible. Yikes. Now we're talking. In addition to their well-stocked bar and delicious pub grub, the bait hall in, in, I believe this is Macclesfield, is said to be overrun with ghosts. Less than an hour from Manchester, it is worth a visit for the atmosphere alone. But add to that the spooky goings-on, and you'll understand why it's regularly topped Higgy Pop's top 100 most haunted locations in the UK. Uh, There's been reports of staff being touched, glasses going flying, and dark shadowy figures lurking about the place, although much of the sightings have been in the residential area above and down in the cellar. However, according to the owner, their daughter has been known to play hide-and-seek with a boy named Billy. There's also said to be an evil character named Richard who prowls around the pub. So there you go. It's a big guy named Dick. (laughs) Only <laughs> I get that one, I guess. So there you go. Those are the scary pubs around Manchester that you can okay. check out if you decide to go on a haunted trip in Manchester.
1: Go on a pub crawl.
0: Yeah, a little haunted pub crawl in, in England for you, Mel. Now we're getting down to the point where we're talking about the little boy who claims he remembers his mom's miscarriage where he died and returned.
1: Okay kind of sad
0: yeah sad and and makes you wonder about reincarnation Mm now kids say the funniest things this ain't funny though and oftentimes they'll come out with some seriously bizarre statements and parents will just giggle by way of acknowledgement swiftly forgetting the unusual thing they said but when one parenting blogger's son said something seriously spooky to her she couldn't help but pay attention he was speaking about something that happened before he was born but he was talking to her as if he remembered very, every little detail. Laura Matza, uh, also known as the Mum on the Run," took to Facebook to share the conversation she had with her followers, who were equally as confused about the exchange. She says her four-year-old son Luca, uh, claimed to remember his mom having a miscarriage before he was born, sharing with her that it was him who died in her tummy and became an angel before he returned to her. In a post to her 241,000 followers in 2019, Laura wrote, Before I was pregnant with Luca, I had heavy bleeding. I remember having a positive pregnancy test, and then a few days later, bad pains and a heavy period. I wasn't sure what it was, and only now that I'm wiser, I have an idea. I got pregnant with Luca pretty much straight away. The mom of two explains she's always thought her son's spirit had walked this earth before, because he's wise beyond his years and so funny, but she wasn't prepared to have her suspicions confirmed. Tonight in the bath, he said something that really shocked me and made me truly believe he's an old soul. He said, Mommy, do we live in Australia? I said, Yep, we do. We live in Australia. And he said, I didn't. I lived in your tummy. Okay, that would freak me out, first of all. Uh, The mom went on to explain that he did live in her tummy once, but he now lives in Australia. But Luca wasn't convinced, and he responded, Yes, Mommy, I lived in your tummy. I was there, but then I died. His mom asked him what he meant, stating that he was right here. And he said, No, Mommy, I came to your tummy, and then I died. I went looking for you, but I couldn't find you. I went to your house. I went everywhere, but you couldn't hear me when I called you. So then I was sad. But then when I became an angel, I missed you, so I wanted to come back to you. So then I was a baby in your tummy again. And then I was born again.
1: How old is this child?
0: Um, he's very young. I have a picture of him here. He's, he looks like he's maybe three or four
1: now. Okay, yeah. He looks young, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um Let's see here. She goes on to say that Laura didn't know what to say to her son, so she stared at him before bursting into tears. She added, "I've never had a conversation with him ever about angels or anything like that. Our babies know who they want to be their mamas long before they know we exist." or know that they exist, or long before we know they exist, Uh, proof that they really do choose us and their souls are always with us in this life or the next, she went on to say. So there you go. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I got to think that at the time, well, she said that, uh, it, it said when she posted this in 2019, he was young. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting though Mhm. interesting story alright Mal we have two stories left in today's um, Supernatural News Wednesday Halloween Hangover Edition this story is interesting okay interesting to say the least do you believe in the Jersey Devil
1: um I think that there was something I'm not quite sure what it was but
0: yeah mm-hmm. well, what about you um, I'm intrigued by it. I, I don't know. I've never seen one.
1: Right. Nor have I. Yeah.
0: Um, but I, it, it's an intriguing cryptid. They claim that there's a real life Jersey devil and it's an act. It, it's actually a genuine creature and it looks like some sort of obscure Pokemon. Okay. Okay.
1: Um,
0: and they claim that the animal only eats fruit. Huh? Huh? That it doesn't attack any, any animals or warm blooded animals or it's it's not uh, it's not a meat eater. It might look like a rendering of some obscure Pokemon. I have a picture to show here, Mally. Here's what here's supposedly what the Jersey Devil looks like. Okay. Not I mean it's scary if you ran into one right, in a while. Right. You might scream, shit your pants, or go blind. I don't know what you're gonna do, but
1: almost looks like a large bat.
0: Yes. Yeah. It might look like a rendering of some obscure pokemon, but it is in fact a real animal. An image of this peculiar-looking creature first started doing the rounds on social media back in July of 2018, prompting speculation over whether it was a new species or some kind of hoax. With its strangely elongated face, abnormally long or large size, and thin membrane-like wings, the animal looked a little bit like the Jersey Devil, which is a terrifying winged creature described as a cross between a horse, a bat, and a kangaroo. Yeah, it does look like that, doesn't it? hmm That was said to have roamed the forests of the Pine Barrens in South Jersey hundreds of years ago. As it turns out, however, the creature in the photograph is not a mythical beast at all, but a very real animal known as the hammerhead bat. You're right, Mallie. it's a bat. <laughs> The largest bat species in Africa, to be exact. Its wingspan can exceed one meter across. That's pretty big. Mm -hmm. It has an unusually large snout, especially evident in males, and it acts as a resonating chamber that enables it to make honking sounds.
1: (laughs) That would be funny sounding.
0: That would be, especially coming out of a bat.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: Like other bats, the hammerhead bat can be found hanging from trees in sizable numbers, but passerby's... Uh, needn't worry as these winged animals and mammals only eat fruit such as bananas and figs. Aw, you could feed it a fig. (laughs) Most of the time, though, all it really cares about is finding other bats to mate with. So it's a horny bat. Exactly. Yeah. Priorities. (laughs) Priorities. (laughs) I want to eat a banana and do it. (laughs) These are not terribly smart bats, Jack Bradbury of the Cornell Laboratory of Ornithology told NPR. I think most of the synapses in the brain of this male bat are (laughs) devoted to sex. And he doesn't have much else on the mind except for getting some food. So the Jersey Devil really is a little devil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he just wants to do it and eat. (laughs) That's it. And finally, Mally, on Supernatural News today, we're going to end it on an up note. A lot of you were out trick-or-treating last night and got a lot of of candy. Mm -hmm. Right? Candy, a favorite thing of ours. Mm -hmm. But if you were trick-or-treating in Japan, you probably ran across a gummy candy that tastes like a fruit that doesn't exist. Oh. Did you know there's actually a fruit out there that doesn't exist? No. The candy in question... Has been making national news headlines in Japan because it's uh, this Japanese candy company is producing a gummy candy that tastes like an imaginary fruit called Kira Spica.
1: Sounds like something Willy Wonka would have created. Right? Yeah.
0: Last year was a great one for gummy candy producers and the market continued to expand throughout 2023 with fruit-flavored gummies being the most popular. While there are plenty of fruit flavors to choose from, including intriguing fruit combinations, companies are still limited to the fruits available in our world. But what if someone broke down the barriers, Mally, and started making candy that tastes like imaginary fruits? That was the genius idea the Japanese sweets maker, Conroe, or Canro, K-A-N-R-O, recently made up or came up with. Last month, the company launched a new type of gummy candy that tastes like Kiraspica. No me, is what it says. A made-up fruit with an original flavor design and even an origin story. You ready for this? hmm Here it is. According to the Canro. Official website, the star shaped Kiraspica only grows in the mountainous region of Blue Knife, where temperatures drop to minus 50 degrees Celsius in winter. It's very difficult to obtain, as when the fruit ripens on a full moon night around the winter solstice, the fruit explodes as a mechanism to spread its seeds. Pieces of the fruit fly at a speed of 300 meters per second, and a direct hit can be fatal. Boy, they have an imagination over there. Yeah. Everything about Kira Spica was invented in Canro's Fruit Lab, where its flavor experts combine various existing flavors to create an entirely original one that tastes like nothing you've ever eaten. According to its designers, the Kira Spica-flavored gummy candy has a mysterious sweetness combined with its sliced sourness. But many of those who have tried it have their own description of the taste. To some, the Kira Spica flavor can be combined or compared to that of an energy drink. Others say it tastes a bit like a spicy apple, while some compare its sweetness to that of cherry gummies, combined with a tongue-numbing spiciness. It is the mystery of the flavor and the personal interpretations that make Canro's product so popular. Having been launched last month in the 7-Eleven convenience store chain, Kira Spica Gummies have been selling out like hotcakes. And the Japanese company is already working with new creations in its Fantasy Fruit Lab. There you go, Mally. Hmm. Here are Spica gummies. You can get them at 7-Eleven. I figured I'd end, end on a candy note. Why not?
1: There we go. Yeah. It's just weird to think you could create a fruit that doesn't exist. Or a flavor.
0: Well, you never know. We're getting to that point. We're creating artificial, artificial uh, relatives, and now we're creating artificial candy <laughs> and artificial fruit. Right. Everything's artificial now. Mm. Halloween hangover edition. <laughs> Soon we'll have a hangover from life. So. Oh no. Aw. Yeah, so that'll, that'll do that. So I know I asked you yesterday what you got going on. I know you can see a certain program on the science channel.
1: <laughs> I'll
0: let you promo it. <laughs> no,
1: don't. Strange evidence. So it's on the science channel, or mm-hmm. you can see it on Max, or what was it, Discovery Plus. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yes, I am on there. I've been on there for a while. So I just don't talk about it. I'm proud of it. Come on, Mally. I'm weird about that. I already told you. I'm so weird about, I can't watch myself on television. I can't hear myself on podcasts. I can't, it's just a weird, it's a weird thing. So I don't really talk about stuff.
0: Ah, you gotta get behind it. You gotta be like, hey.
1: Oh, I know. And then you got people that are like, oh, I was once in the background on a YouTube thing, you know?
0: Yeah, that'd be me. No.
1: (laughs) haunted what was it? haunted hospitals or hot
0: well that, that that i was a black man on haunted hospitals
1: oh, that's um, right. no I no no on, what was the what was the thing that you were on several episodes of a, a,
0: a, 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 a paranormal night shift
1: there we go yeah
0: i was on that which by the way that was,
1: was funny with the haunted hospital it did yeah. not look like you
0: <laughs> no i was i was a black man on on, on haunted hospitals um I uh yeah, Paranormal Light Shift. They just did uh, recently on Travel Channel, they did a uh, they did a n a marathon of it.
1: Oh very cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: So it uh, it got they dusted it off, they they shined it up, turned that thing sideways and no, I'm just kidding. That's what the <laughs> rock used to say. Uh and then gave it out to everybody in, on in the afternoon. So it was kinda nice. It was kinda nice to see mm-hmm. it uh broken out of mothballs and put back on travel channel for a little bit. So yeah oh you know what there's a there's what? a story i do have one more story if you if you're willing to indulge me here i got a celebrity story that a, a listener sent me oh very cool yeah do you want to hear about goldie Hawn? yeah a uh, listener sent this to me this morning and i almost forgot to read it mm mm-hmm. mhm almost forgot to read it uh, before we leave everybody today uh there is a story about goldie Hawn. let me pull it up here that's what she said hi oh um it came from Wayne Bullard that's who sent it to me thank you Wayne for sending me this story he said have you seen this one yet and I said you know what I have not I don't necessarily see all the stories out there it's actually a story about Goldie Hawn she said she made contact with the aliens and they touched her face Oh. So we'll end on this note today rather than candy. Uh, Goldie Hahn recalled making contact with two or three extraterrestrial beings who touched her face when she was 20 years old. There was also a lot of weed going on then. Yeah. Just saying. The 77 year old actress noted that she had never shared this story as she recounted her experience during the latest, latest episode of the Apple Fitness Plus audio experience, Time to Walk. During the episode, Han remembered wishing to be visited by extraterrestrials when she was working as a dancer in Anaheim, California. That was a time when, you know, there was a lot of UFO sightings, the Academy Award winner said. I remember this so clearly. I went outside my door and I sat on the little ledge and I looked up at the dark sky and I saw all these stars and all I could think of was, how far does this go? How little are we? Are we the only planet in the whole wide world universe that has life on She continued, I said, I know you're out there. I know we're not alone and I would like to meet you someday. About three or four months later, Han recalled that she was dancing in West Covina, California, which is very close to a desert. The overboard star said that she asked one of her best friends if she could take a nap in his car after she became very tired during rehearsal. I don't know why I said that. Han mused. I don't know why I didn't just lie down on the bleachers. After getting into a friend's car and preparing to sleep, the actress said she heard a strange noise. I got this high pitched sound in my ear, Han said. It was this high, high frequency. The Washington, D.C. native then looked out of the car window and saw these two or three triangle shaped heads. Weird. They were silver in color, slash for a mouth, tiny little nose, no ears, Han remembered. They were pointing at me, pointing at me in the car as if they were discussing me like I was a subject. And they were droning. That's weird. Han said she (laughs) suddenly found that she was unable to move. I was paralyzed, she explained. And I thought, oh my God, I, I want to get up. I didn't know if it was real or not real. The actress said she finally burst out of her state of paralysis. It was like bursting out of a force field, Han recalled. Of course, I go back to all of the kids and stuff, and I went, Oh my God, I think I made contact with outer space. Han began to wonder if she had simply dreamed the incident until all these books came out that were written by people who said they had also had experiences with UFOs and made contact with aliens. She remembered that the individuals described being paralyzed and hearing a high-pitched sound during their encounters with the extraterrestrials. So I started looking at this as something that might be real, Han said. Years later, Han visited the University of Illinois, Champaign, uh, where she met an astrophysicist. During their conversation, Han told him that she believed she had an experience in which she was visited by beings from outer space. I want to talk to you about that. The Golden Globe winner remembered him telling her, I've been basically researching this for 25 years and I'd like to know your experience. After he began her, her questions about the aliens, Han recalled it was like regression therapy. She said that she fell into a trance and began to remember details about her encounter from years ago. They touched my face, Han recalled. They touched my face and it felt like the finger of God. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the only place the finger of God went? Mm. Just asking. Uh, It was the most benevolent, loving feeling, she continued as she became emotional. This was powerful. It was filled with light. Han went on to recount the, another paranormal event that she experienced while on a trip with a friend to the English village of Ave, Avebury, Avebury. Avebury, Avebury, a few years earlier or later rather, a few years later. It was a certain time when the crop circles would come up, she said. So now we were going So now we were going out for me to learn more about them. What are these crop circles about? The Christmas Chronicle star then said that she had a dream about a valley across from a few small mountains. And I saw these six lights come up over the mountain, she recalled. I said, oh, goody, they're here. They're finally here. She's the only one who's excited about this stuff. I guarantee you that. Uh, (laughs) The following morning, Han woke up and drove out to Avaberry, where she was told that another crop circle had emerged the night before. And I thought, let's go, she said enthusiastically. We get to the spot and by God, I was standing on this hill looking down over a valley that was dark. She continued, that was exactly the spot in my dream and a crop circle of just a heart. It wasn't anything, it wasn't anything else. Usually it's the tree of life. It's something geometric, Han explained. They all said, we've never seen this before. Han remembered that she began freaking out because hearts have always had special significance for her. "'I've collected hearts my whole life,' she said. "'I built a house of hearts. "'I have done everything with hearts. "'I looked at this and I thought, "'I don't know anything, but if this is a sign, I'll take it. "'We'll never know. I'll never know.'" "'We cut ourselves off from a lot of things "'if we're continuing to deny something "'that we have no control over,' she noted. "'There's a lot of things in this world that we can't see, "'but we can't stop believing.'" Uh, We can never, ever lose our wonder, Han continued. It's just no fun. It's really an important aspect of being an adventurer where nothing is impossible, she concluded. So, there you go. Goldie Han, Alien Whisper. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how we'll end today's show. Perfect. There you go. So, Mally's got strange evidence on the Science Channel. I'm going to be up in St. Cloud this weekend, KNSI Radio. You can listen to that uh, from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, I'll tell you about sports weather and all kinds of stuff, news. It's it's all good stuff. Mm -hmm. There you go. And you'll be recovering because it's the first weekend, November. Uh, There's no uh, trick-or-treat stuff, but you can be planning your turkey dinner for, for Thanksgiving. So mm. you can start that already. Speaking of Mally, have you seen the trailer for Thanksgiving? Yes,
1: I think <laughs> it looks great. You think so? Yeah. You gonna see it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I am.
0: A horror. How movie. about you? I, I I probably will, but I I just gotta imagine. <laughs> it looks
1: entertaining.
0: It, it looks campy. It looks it looks very. It
1: campy. does, but sometimes those are the best.
0: It it looks like eighty schlock, but I'll probably yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> thanksgiving (laughs) a horror movie about thanksgiving
1: right get more creative with the title (laughs) yeah yeah.
0: somebody somebody reached right into the 80 schlock bag and pulled that one out and said Mm -hmm. oh i can do that for under 10 (laughs) million so yeah but that's it it looks it looks it looks like a good waste of an hour and a half so why not Mm -hmm. yeah i'll go see it sure so that, uh, that's that. So coming up tomorrow, Nadia Udine is on the program. And we have an intriguing, intriguing book to talk about. Of course, we're tackling the subject of AI, which we haven't talked about a lot in the regular interview segment. We'll also talk about Ziggy's Picks at the end of tomorrow's show. I know we we skipped that segment today, and there are uh, quite a few of you out there that follow Ziggy's Picks. Um, we'll talk about Ziggy's Picks tomorrow. Um, And because we're taping this on Monday um, and there was one game left on Ziggy's Picks. So uh, we will tackle Ziggy's Picks tomorrow. Um, But Nadia Udine is our guest tomorrow. And Nadia Udine has a book out there that is absolutely intriguing and has to do with AI and the implications of AI. Uh, Folks, I'll tell you, This book is absolutely fascinating. It has to do with the mother of a son and daughter. The son is estranged from this mother. The daughter is working for a Steve Jobs-like inventor who has started this company. That is basically, it it takes place in the future. They've advanced society to the point where we're using AI and, and robots to make our, jo- or make our lives easier. We only have white-collar jobs. There's really not blue-collar jobs on the planet anymore. And we are advancing society, but are we? We've got record unemployment because some people have not made the transition from blue-collar to white-collar jobs. We've got record homelessness on the planet. And Aisha is the main character who's decided that she's going to help the company with one new experiment they're doing, which is farming this, I believe they call it the brain reinvigoration project Mm -hmm. where it's harvesting the brain of newly deceased people and using AI and nanobots to reinvigorate the brain and bring out the consciousness So, the people that have lost that person can talk to that person one more time, or actually a series of times. You have one year in which to talk to the brain of your loved one. Now, the key here is you can't talk to this brain about anything traumatic. The name of the book is Edison in the Hood. You can't talk to this brain about anything traumatic or it will start to break down the brain prematurely. You can't talk about anything forward. So you can't have new conversations with the brain. In other words, Mally, if if your brain is the one that's being harvested Mm -hmm. and I I say to you, well, Mally, I've got new business. You know, I need to talk to you about what's happened since you've died. I can't bring up that you've died.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Right? I can't Mm -hmm. say I've missed you since you've died. Because the brain doesn't know it's died. It doesn't know that it's a spirit. Interesting perspective you have to take with this. So Mm -hmm. we'll go through it with Nadia tomorrow. Nadia Udin, our guest. And talk about why this. It's a work of fiction, obviously. But why this book? Why this book now? Because it looks at both sides. There's a group in here called the Neoludites are anti-technology who want things to go back the way they were even before they kind of take on ted kaczynski's look at technology they want things to go back before we even started with ai they want us to to even though they do their work on computers they want us to throw technology away and then you have the people who want us to go further with ai they want to communicate with the dead. They want things to be made easier and easier with technology. I find it fascinating, Mali. It's mm-hmm. we are at such a crux right now in society. And we could we could easily fall off that slippery slope that's in this book. And it is such a fascinating book, folks. Edison in the Hood. And we'll have a link to it in the description of tomorrow's program. I just, if you want to look it up before we get to tomorrow's program, please do. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about it tomorrow. And we're gonna get into it. And Nadia and I will talk about AI, whether it's a healthy thing or, or a thing we take with caution, or is this something that maybe we're not ready for? It's tomorrow's program here on Darkness Radio. <laughs> Mallie, I want to thank you so much for being with us this week.
1: My pleasure. It's always a pleasure.
0: Uh, it's our pleasure indeed. Um, Folks, again, if you have guests you want to hear on this program, if you have news stories for us or you have um, Parashare stories you want to give us, Tim at darknessradio.com. You can submit everything to there. Or if you have um, Parashare stories that you want to tell us and and you want to hear your lovely voice on the air, go to darknessradioshow.com. You can submit your stories by clicking on that blue button on the right-hand side of the website. Ziggy's Picks you can see at darknessradioshow.com as well. You can sign up for our email list there. You can get to know the hosts of the show at darknessradioshow.com. There's lots of good stuff at darknessradioshow.com. We'll see you tomorrow for Nadia Udine, Edison in the Hood. Check out the book before we get to the show. Uh, You can do that by checking out amazon.com and seeing a lot of our authors that we have there. Uh, You can also go to darknessradio.com and check out a lot of the different interviews we've had on the show for Mally Fox I'm Tim Dennis thank you so much for continuing to listen to this great program we appreciate you we love you thank you so much for being a part of our world we love being a part of yours and we'll see you tomorrow for the best in paranormal programming this is Darkness Street